You're listening to Tech Tank, a bi-weekly podcast from the Brookings Institution, exploring the most consequential technology issues of our time. From racial bias and algorithms to the future of work, Tech Tank takes big ideas and makes them accessible. We're taking on a topic today in this next episode of Tech Tank that has been in the public domain, put forth by members of Congress and playing out internationally as well. And that is the big A of antitrust. And I'm joined today by experts who've been working on this issue in a way that I think will allow this conversation to be full and robust and potentially answer some of the questions of our listeners as we delve into what antitrust looks like today and basing that on what we know it looked like previously. My goal in this conversation is to unravel some of the issues that are playing out publicly with regards to the big tech companies, as well as new players in the marketplace. My guests today are Bill Bear, who is a visiting fellow of Governance Studies and the Center for Technology Innovation. He's also the former assistant attorney general in charge of the antitrust division at the U.S. Department of Justice. We're also joined by Nancy Rose, who is the Charles P. Kindleberger Professor of Applied Economics at MIT. And certainly never least, Tom Wheeler, who's a visiting fellow at Governance Studies and the CTI at Brookings, as well as the former chairman of the Federal Communications Commission. Welcome, everybody. Hey, Nicole. Great to be here. No, great to have you. So let me start this Uh, conversation, Bill, with you. You've shared in some public forums that we are at a crossroads in antitrust. We can either choose to maintain the status quo, which is the Chicago School of Thinking, challenge the status quo through the courts, and that would be to use the Federal Trade Commission and the Department of Justice or the state attorney general to enforce or attempt to enforce, right, these various harms that can result from exclusionary deceptive conduct. And three, you've put out there that we call on Congress to pass new legislation to update the antitrust laws. Now, before you delve into which box and bucket do you pick, why don't you do some level setting as well for the audience in terms of what is antitrust? And when we think about the course of direction, which way should we be going? One, two, three, or neither. Bill? Thanks, Nicole. And it's great to share the audio stage with three of my favorite people. Look, antitrust is about promoting competition, removing barriers to the free market that that inhibit consumer choice, put consumers at at risk of higher prices, and that perpetuate various economic and social inequities. We are at at a decision point about where to go with antitrust. For the last, what, 40 years, a very cautious Chicago school approach to antitrust, which focuses on price impact, pretty much ignores innovation, other externalities associated with dominant firm behavior and mergers between and among competitors, and also holds antitrust enforcement to a very demanding level of proof. The Chicago school wants to err on the side of under-enforcement. And the result has been that we've got more concentrated industries all across our economy. Tech platforms is a good example, but healthcare, agricultural, elsewhere are examples as well. And the issue is, do we stay where we are, which I think is the, the wrong place to be, 
Do we use the courts to try and move antitrust in a better direction? And certainly the federal enforcement agencies and the states are trying that. The Google case at DOJ, the Facebook case brought by the FTC is moving in that direction. But there's no guarantee the courts are going to agree that we need to change the Chicago School frame of reference to something that is more embracing of competition, more protective of consumers and consumer rights. And that is why we are seeing this new arena developing on the Hill. You know, the word bipartisan consensus are mostly oxymoronic when it comes to Congress. But right now, there is a movement supported by both Democrats and Republicans to consider seriously for the first time since the 50s some major changes in how we approach antitrust and antitrust enforcement. You know, before we move on, Bill, to our other guests, I'm curious from you, is this a different moment for antitrust or is this pretty much a regurgitation of other moments historically when this has become a pressing concern? I think you have to go back to the late 19th century and the early 20th century to to see the level of dissatisfaction that we're seeing today with the state of our economy and the lack of competition in the economy. A lot of it's focused on the dominant tech platforms and the consequences of uh, of those being almost essential facilities, quasi-public utilities that are largely unregulated. There is a level of dissatisfaction with where we are today that is unprecedented in the modern era. Yeah, and it's very interesting, too. We have all seen in the last couple of weeks some of the picks for the Department of Justice, and we're also seeing um, acting FTC chairwoman Rebecca Slaughter in the news as well, right, when it comes to bringing these issues to the forefront here in the U.S. And and as I proceed into the next question, and I want to bring in Tom and Nancy as well, you know, the status quo, as I think we would all agree, probably is not reflective of today's marketplace, given the variety of concerns when we've seen, you know, not just on the side of government, but even consumers, right, when they think about market dominance of large tech companies. So I want to unpack that a little bit. And this is actually for everyone. You know, under the Biden administration, should we expect to see a lot more enforcement, given the case of presidential appointees, the cases that are before us, or Congress is pushed to actually put out their point of view around these issues? Well, let me, let me quickly start and then turn it over to my friends, Tom and Nancy. First, we need to appreciate that personnel, those choices often drive policy, including law enforcement policy, and not all the personnel are in place. But Nicole, as you say, Becca Slaughter as the acting chairwoman at the FTC, Lena Khan as a nominee to be a commissioner, Tim Wu, in a key competition coordination position at the White House, all are signs that we're going to see a more assertive antitrust enforcement policy out of this administration, certainly than we've seen in the last four years. Tom or Nancy, any comment on that? Absolutely. First first of all, to answer your question directly, let's certainly hope so. (laughs) Right, right, um, right. And virtually any antitrust enforcement or any meaningful antitrust enforcement is an improvement over what we've seen for the last four years. Nancy, any any comment or feedback on on what we're seeing under the Biden administration in terms of predicting what might happen? 
I think it's absolutely true that what Bill and Tom have suggested is correct, that we will see more enforcement. I want to say we're going to see that regardless of actions that are taken, you know, in the early days, because we've got two huge monopolization cases that the agencies are dealing with that were filed under the last administration, but, you know, will require sustained resource allocation and commitments under the current administration to push them forward, that being the the Google and Facebook cases. So I think we're already there. You know, those cases are larger than anything we've seen in the monopolization space since Microsoft. But I, I, I maybe also want to suggest that if we're expecting even more, we need to give the agencies the resources to pursue those because mergers aren't stopping. So just, you know, just to keep up with the proposed mergers, and there will be a lot of anti-competitive or or worrisome mergers that will con- you know continue to come forward. The agencies have got to be able to both move forward on the current cases they've got, deal with the mergers that come before them, and then think about where they want to allocate resources to push the antitrust frontier even further uh, beyond this. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it makes sense. And we'll talk about a little bit later the recent decision that was uh, levied against the FTC in terms of monetary compensation of consumers. I'm curious to hear your opinion. But I think you bring up a really important point, Nancy. And Tom, I want to pivot it to you because one agency that's sort of missing in this conversation is the Federal Communications Commission. And so competition issues have you know, been widely present in the telecommunications industry dating back to the Comms Act the breakup of the Bells, and most recently to the uh, Sprint T-Mobile merger. Do you see, before we start delving into the exact authority of the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, and the Department of Justice, the FCC, playing a role in helping to sort of mitigate some of these concerns when we talk about these issues? Uh, Well, absolutely. I mean, the FCC has the responsibility to review license transfers Uh, to determine their public interest impact. And the fascinating thing uh, here is that that is a definition that is much broader um, and much more flexible than the statutes under which the uh, Department of Justice and the FTC have to act. But let me back up for for a second, Nicole, and 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 try a little repositioning here for a second. I mm-hmm. I was struck by how Senator Amy Kovacar, the the chairman of the Senate Antitrust Committee, in her new book, tries to avoid the use of the term quote antitrust. Mm-hmm and instead talk about competition policy. And I think that probably makes a lot of sense for all of us. You know, you know, trusts were created, as Bill was talking about it, the, in the late 19th century as essentially holding companies for state-organized corporations so that Rockefeller, for instance, through a trust, could control the activities of multiple individual companies. And and so you had the antitrust laws. Yes, they were pro-competition, but they were about trusts. Then you had the Clayton Act come along, what was it, 1914, and, and talk more about competition. We need to be talking about competition policy. And in competition policy, the FCC clearly has an important role uh, to play that is is not based on antitrust concepts, 
or or uh, the concepts, yes, but legalities, statutes, but instead is based on the concept of competition. So that's kind of point one is the FCC looks at broad competition as opposed to, quote, antitrust, unquote, authority. Secondly, and, and, and something that is frequently overlooked, you mentioned the breakup of the Bell system. The FCC did not break up the Bell system. The Department of Justice broke up the Bell system. But I think it is probably safe to assert that that Justice Department action could not have succeeded without the regulatory backup of the FCC to help oversee the details of just how you do something like this. So there is a fascinating role that this independent agency has in promoting competition by determining whether it will transfer licenses and then acting as an implementation arm for what may happen in the courts. Yeah, I like the way you're presenting that. And thank you for that clarification too, Tom, because I think you're going back to Nancy's statement in terms of having the resources available at these agencies to sort of look at these cases, right? And figure out what the right resolve is. I mean, for Nancy and Bill, what do you think about what Tom is saying? I was thinking when Tom was talking that are we seeing in the 21st century uh, economy here sort of a find and replace of the word antitrust for competition, or should we be doing more harmonization, right, of what these concepts both mean to get to better principles and values that we're trying to actually adjudicate, but also harmonization on law enforcement? I think Tom raises some interesting perspectives on this. I, I think we don't want to overstate the distinction between antitrust and competition policy. I, I think the way it's it's used in the law enforcement context is is really perhaps a bit more semantic than real. But I think the the notion that Tom's raising about resources to uh, advance and protect competition that are beyond the antitrust agencies or enforcement agencies is a really important point. And if you look at what's going on in the tech sector, for example, in Europe and in the UK, you know they're really thinking about what are the limits of competition policy and how could appropriately designed regulatory interventions either complement or perhaps even replace competition policy as a force for protecting competition in, in digital markets or tech marketplaces. I, I think that's a, an incredibly important area for the U.S. to be spending more attention uh, and time and effort thinking about. I, I do want to say you know, one of the great strengths of the antitrust system, call it competition policy, call it antitrust, but the, the law enforcement-based system is that those laws apply to, to virtually everybody in the economy with a few exceptions that have been written into you know, particular statutes or particular case law. Regulatory agencies, in contrast, tend to have a lot of expertise and implementation oversight in much more narrow segments of the economy. So Tom's mentioned the, the FCC, but you know we see this in, for example, say the Surface Transportation Board in, in the uh, Department of Transportation and other parts of DOT that have got um, authority over the airline industry. One of the concerns with those regulatory agencies that are more narrowly focused 
is a concern about either capture by interest groups or the more ready injection of politics into decision making. And so I don't think we'd see a strict hierarchy of one being preferred to the other. There are strengths and and limitations to both the antitrust system and the regulatory system. But I think we're probably going to need both of those levers to deal with some of the concerns that we've got in the tech space. Bill, do you want to add on to that or respond to that? Sure. Um, quickly, I, I, I agree with Nancy's points. And Tom's framing makes sense because competition policy as, as the framework for looking at problems in the economy is broader than antitrust or competition law enforcement, which tends to be looking backwards, at least as it relates to monopolization and cartels, on behavior that's occurred, and we bring case-by-case adjudication to attempt to determine what is lawful and what's unlawful past behavior. If you think about competition policy, that encompasses that backward-looking law enforcement, but it also has us looking over the horizon on how we ought to be seeing or addressing problems in the economy that are limiting competition. And to drive it home, the Google and Facebook cases that Nancy and I have talked about are classic examples of backward-looking resource-intensive efforts to address monopolization in our economy. They are legitimate exercises of antitrust law enforcement, but they are going to take for ever to get to an ultimate outcome. The Google case brought last October won't go to trial for almost three years after the case was, was brought. And it'll be years before the courts ultimately decide whether or not the behavior was a problem or not. The Facebook case brought by the FTC is looking at acquisitions by Facebook, challenging as monopolization acquisitions of, of WhatsApp and Instagram that occurred in 2012 and 2014. So so looking at the issue or the challenges as both retrospective and adjudicatory as well as forward-looking prospective and trying to determine whether or not we need to change the antitrust laws, to change our competition principles, to address real-world today problems and not simply wait for the courts to resolve them is a helpful way of making sure we are, as I said earlier, looking over the horizon. Yeah, I mean, I I think that these are really interesting points. And Nancy, you just testified before Congress around antitrust reform after having served in the antitrust division of the Department of Justice. Bill brings up a good point. I mean, is this where legislation could possibly be helpful to manage the timeliness of decisions? Or is this something that we still should be going through the courts on? I think that's a great question. And and I do have to say, Nicole, uh, just to, to put a fine point on it. I had the privilege of serving in the antitrust division under Bill Baer. So uh, <laughs> that was that, that made it quite an extraordinary um, experience. And, and we did, I think, some really terrific things. You can't suck up enough, Nancy. I know. Wait, look, this is, is going to turn into the Bill podcast, Tom, because Bill is a special kind of guy. <laughs> so, I'm, so I'm happy to pile on, by, by the way, in how, <laughs> in, in how when I was chairman of the FCC, 
Bill and I were joined at the hip in the approaches that we took to matters of common interest. So I want to amplify something that, that Bill has just said or keyed off of that, which is while particularly in conduct cases, antitrust enforcement is backward looking. You know, mergers are, are a predictive exercise about the effect of, of competition going forward. But at its heart, antitrust enforcement is a deterrence-based system. That And I think probably the most significant challenge that we confront today in competition policy broadly and antitrust enforcement specifically is that we have lost much of the deterrent value of enforcement against anti-competitive conduct, in, including mergers. And I think when you know mergers to monopoly or duopoly are not only proposed, but pursued by companies all the way through litigation, when exclusionary behavior and other anti-competitive conduct is you know, brazenly undertaken, the evidence of inadequate deterrence could not be clear. And it's that deterrence that is forward-looking, is that if companies expect that anti-competitive behavior will be investigated, will be challenged, and that courts will, will block it, and that if violations are, are determined to have occurred, ill-gotten gains are going to be disgorged, then companies are much less likely to engage in anti-competitive action. If that system is broken, then as Bill pointed out, if all we have is the ability to, to challenge in cases that might take you know, 10 or 15 years from the time the behavior occurs to the time when a final outcome is imposed, we've got a huge problem here. And, and so... I, I think if we think about why we've ended up in this position today with, with too little deterrence, I, I think there might be two kind of key um, factors driving that that I would see. First is that we have starved enforcement agencies of resources. The budgets have flatlined despite enormous growth in both economic activity and enforcement costs. Congress seems to recognize that. So the first piece of legislation I think would be a, a very substantial increases in both the antitrust division and FTC budgets. I'm, you know, Senator Klobuchar has has proposed legislation that 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 would restore and and then increase enforcement budgets. That's something that I and others have have called on Congress to do. If we don't do that, I think we're going to continue to see under enforcement against exclusionary behavior, monopolization conduct, kind of other conduct cases. That, that require a lot of resources to investigate and litigate and that, that are too easy to put on a slow track when you've got huge mergers that you have to make immediate actions um, and decisions on under the Hart-Scott-Rodino clock. So I, I think, and I certainly saw this during my time at, at DOJ, that you know, we had not just splashy mergers like Comcast, Time Warner Cable, or Halliburton, Baker Hughes, or Aetna Humana, Anthem Cigna, Dow DuPont, but less sexy mergers that maybe didn't get as much press attention, but were no less and perhaps even more consequential to the economy in the semiconductor space or the ag space or others. And and so if we don't expand agency resources, we're not going to be able to restore deterrence, almost regardless of what the 
the legislative or case law situation is. I'd also say I think resources include increasing pay scale for both lawyers and for professional PhD economists, which have just become really almost laughing stocks in terms of, of what offers we can make to, to attract the kind of talent we need. But I think the second thing that, that, that has been kind of hinted at, Nicole, in, in, in your question, and, and certainly in some of what Tom and Bill have talked about, is that we have a system where we've massively distorted the judicial view of what the cost is of sustaining a challenge to anti-competitive behavior that that might in the end have not been problematic versus failing to sustain a challenge to behavior that is problematic. And there's really no credible empirical foundation for that belief. So I think we we definitely need to re to rethink our current balance on what are the standards for a successful challenges? And I think, you know, many of those are are in some of the legislation that's been proposed by Senator Klobuchar and, and Representative Cecilini and others. You know, some of it can be done in the agencies. I think the horizontal merger guidelines probably need a, a review. The concentration threshold standards are too high and probably need to be lower. We still, I think, don't have effective guidance for vertical mergers, the standards for uh, when to take a settlement uh, or with divestitures, which are decisions made at the, the agency level, I think need to be rethought. But I think given the uphill battle that the enforcers face in convincing courts to sustain challenges, if we want to see effective enforcement restored in our lifetime, we probably need some push from Congress to say to the courts, you've gotten it really wrong over the last few decades, and we need a reset. Yeah, I mean, I think what you've laid out are, you know, how do we address some of the structural concerns that come with the type of law enforcement that we've discussed so far? And and I think it's interesting, Nancy, I'll just sort of uh, piggyback on a statement that you said, because you made me think about Justin Timberlake's, you know, bringing the sexy back. And I think these these issues that we're dealing with today are probably that that turning point, which, Tom, I want to turn to you, right? Because I think what you basically have argued is we got to do something different that may actually be a different agency that looks at, if correct me if I'm incorrect on this assumption that I, I think that has been so interesting in your work around these behavioral actions and how we sort of look through what is happening in the marketplace in ways that provide for, you know, quicker response, particularly if there's consumer harm. Can you talk a little bit about that proposal? Because I think that Bill and Nancy and Tom, this is sort of framing, I think, why the status quo may just not be enough at this time. Sure. sure. So, but but first, I mean, what a tour de force we just heard from Nancy. Yeah, really, right? <laughs> Laid out. What a great discussion and description. And and I, let me pick up on the theme that Nancy had at, at the end, which is to rethink the current balances. And one of the issues in those current balances is, as Bill said earlier, antitrust tends to be ex post. It is an action that took place a while ago by a single company. And we need to have, we need to be thinking about what are the ex-ante kinds of actions that can identify, anticipate, and address the the kinds of, of issues that are happening in the, the marketplace. And, and how can using regulatory authority 
you get out in front of competitive issues. I mean, so for instance, we felt that the net neutrality rules that we put in place were getting out in front of of competitive issues. We the, the reality is that antitrust can solve a lot of problems, but it can't get to consumer issues like privacy and and that there is a need to act broadly and act decisively with speed that comes from a, a regulatory authority as opposed to a judicial a law enforcement authority, and that the existing agencies of government, as terrific as they are, as dedicated as they are, it would make sense that they were basically built on industrial era concepts and industrial era structures, and it would make sense to have a federal agency that is built on digital concepts that has regulatory agility far more than the kind of rigidity that exists in the current regulatory process and that has this ability to go out and be ex ante covering all of an industry rather than one company and move with dispatch on setting the behavioral rules that we expect inside the digital markets. And that's why we called for the creation of a, a, a digital platform agency. Well, Bill, I want to bring you on this conversation and you know Tom's proposal and you've heard what Nancy laid out in terms of what we need to do differently to you know facilitate the type of resources that need to go into these federal agencies. I mean, when you think about this new digital economy and these new challenges, and we'll go a little deeper into some of the challenges, like Tom said, that are not necessarily under any antitrust framework, what do you think? Do we need a new agency here? Do we need legislation? Or you know, do we need to just rely upon those reforms that Nancy laid out quite well? Well, I, I think we need new laws. We need new authorities, whether it's placed in an existing agency or a new digital agency, as Tom and his colleagues have eloquently argued in favor of. I, I'm, I'm a little bit unclear about what the best path is, but it's clear to me that we need to have more focus that looks at not just from a competition policy point of view, as Tom has just suggested, but looking at the externalities that come from these social platforms that due to network effects basically tend to tip in favor of one provider, and there are very few alternatives. So if you had a digital agency or authorities created, you could combine competition, forward-looking policy with rules and regulations that would, would promote competition, for example, by enabling people to port their data and information stored on Facebook or some other tech platform to a second system, mandates interoperability. So if I actually get my data from Facebook, I can actually transfer it efficiently to, to somebody else. These are all forward-looking issues that Nancy and, and Tom have correctly identified that need to be addressed. And, you know, Europe is ahead of the curve of, of us on this, taking a look at, you know, what happens when you have a dominant platform? What happens when their, their artificial intelligence is promoting the spread of the wildest falsehoods imaginable? We saw that on January 6th in the Trump disinformation campaign. 
So we need sort of a, a holistic approach to how to address the problems associated with dominant platforms, antitrust enforcement, whether after the fact or forward-looking, Tom must have taken Latin, I don't know those terms. Whatever we do, we, we need to be more comprehensive in looking at the issues that the digital economy and the tech platforms have caused for us. Well, and that, that brings up a question. Unless, Tom, you want to jump in? Because I think I heard a breath from you. You want to jump in? No, I was just chuckling at his at his <laughs> I've used both of the Latin words that I understand, and I, I can't go any further. I know. I, I have to concur with that because I took Latin for like six years, and I think the only thing I learned was ex ante and ex post. Yeah, I, I, yeah I, I would just say race ipsa, uh, my friend. <laughs> I just wanted to, to put a point to, I think, what, what Bill and Tom have both been saying, which is antitrust is really about protecting competition in competitive marketplaces, there are a lot of concerns in the tech space that are not directly competition concerns and concerns that may be in tension with those. So if you take something like privacy, there are some aspects of privacy, perhaps, that antitrust can reach. For example, if we're concerned that a merger may give firms sufficient market power that they'll reduce consumer privacy protection, that's that's an an actionable antitrust harm, I would argue. Not easy to take action on, but it but it appropriate. But there may be places where improving pr- protection of consumer privacy actually reduces competition. And so those are intention. And I think that's where having regulators with both, as Tom mentioned, the agility to respond quickly, but also the expertise to understand how different paths will influence kind of myriad objectives that we might have could improve outcomes in both the the uh, context of allowing markets to be as competitive as they possibly can and to promote potential entry into markets or challenges to incumbents, but also take some of these other, you know, very significant concerns about, you know, for example, misinformation is, as Bill has raised, algorithms that are tilted to induce consumers um, to spend more time on platforms, but but perhaps at the cost of, of raising mistrust and, and misinformation, but, you know, so to kind of balance these. So I, I think that's the advantage of, of having some type of regulator that's that's able to look broadly. That said, these are not simple regulatory issues to, to deal with, and particularly in the context of a highly innovative sector, where what we want to make sure we're doing in whatever policy we're pursuing is, is preserving the benefits of that innovation while limiting its costs. You know, you just walk me, Nancy, into my next question around the differences between the United States and Europe, right? Because we are seeing a lot of ex ante um, and prescriptive rules that are coming with things like the Digital Service Act, et cetera. And I'm wondering from the three of you, I mean, in the United States, is that a direction that we should be taking because of the innovative experiences that consumers are gaining and some of the unknowns that actually come with these technologies? Um, I work in algorithmic bias and there's so many things that we're finding out that is unknown, that the algorithmic bias may not necessarily always be intentional, but may be defined in a way where we need it to have differentiated services or options for consumers. So just curious what you all think in terms of the U.S. adopting a European approach to this. Well, Nicole, let me let me just jump in here and take it perhaps slightly orthogonally. The, 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 uh, Europe 
has stepped in to fill a void left by the leadership of the United States of America, by the absence of leadership by the United States of America. And 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 their approach has been to become the world leader in rules for the digital era. And in and if a key component of the digital era is that everybody is connected and in the time that it takes to do a keystroke, data can triple circle the world, then then the reality is that we are going to end up as a result of our abstinence from these issues having to be responsive to decisions that are made by others that with whom we share common concepts but not always identical concepts and and it is a consequence of our failure to step up that that we find ourselves in this situation and the fascinating thing is that our companies american companies who in fact you know are the world leaders in these technologies are now finding themselves suffering from the advocacy that they have exhibited over the last several decades to keep the federal government out of any oversight and and finding that, well, okay, nature abhors a vacuum and Europe steps into that vacuum with rules that are structured around concepts that may not be, that, that may have, may, may also have some roots in making sure they protect European companies. Bill, Nancy, what do you think? Well, I, I think Tom's got it right. Yep. Uh, by, not, by not acting, we have basically ceded leadership. And a lot of what's going on in Europe, I think, is commendable, the UK and out of Brussels. So I'm not attacking it, but it is susceptible, as Tom notes, to, to politicians who want to see national champions and limit opportunities for successful companies, mostly U.S.-based companies. But also, our lack of leadership on the world stage on this part of competition policy means we're at risk of a Tower of Babel, where country after country regulates in a different way, limiting the upside potential from successful tech platforms, which, you know, are an important part of our lives. There are these externalities Nancy's talked about that are worrisome, but, you know, they are valuable. So we need to get out there internationally and lead together with Europe in coming up with common solutions that basically will ensure the continued free flow of information, but of accurate information and reduce some of the noise and external problems associated with the current uh, state of play. Nancy, anything to add? I would say my, my preference would be to look less at what the European Union is doing in this space and look more to what the UK is beginning to do. I think they've got some really creative 
interesting idea is they have a history of uh, across different industries of innovative regulatory solutions to problems. And I think the UK open banking regulations are a really interesting case study of both, you know, some of the the ideas of how we might promote, say, interoperability, how we might deal with the, these kind of competition and privacy trade-offs, but but the challenges as well. And I think when when the UK implemented its its open banking standards in an effort to to increase competition for consumers in the financial services space, there were great hopes that that would have dramatic impacts. And I think some of the very early economic analysis of outcomes is humbling with respect to what we've we've they've actually been managed to to accomplish there. So. I think there's a lot we can learn. I do think it makes a ton of sense to think of this as trying to create some kind of harmonized ecosystem because, you know, these are global companies and it, it and and with the free flow of data, you know, that doesn't really respect uh, country boundaries naturally. I think trying to get to some place where there's more predictability, but also more effectiveness um, in outcomes makes a ton of sense. I totally agree with with Nancy's point. I mean, the UK is is being specific, talking about strong market powers, is doing specifically creative things, open banking being a class example. But let me also just raise this issue up one more level, okay? We also need to recognize that we as Western nations are going to have to have a plan to deal with non-liberal democracies and their exploitation of this technology. You know, China and Russia have shut down, for all practical purposes, open access to the internet internally while taking advantage of open access to uh, that the internet provides in other countries to export their ideologies, that there are supply chain issues that we as Western liberal democracies need to be coordinating on. And there is a just a crying need here. You know, we we established structures like NATO to to respond to military challenges. We now need to be thinking about the digital challenges that are facing us around the world and that require us to come together on some kind of common understanding. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And I I appreciate the three of you sort of laying that out, because I think for our listeners, understanding, you know, even if you're not a person that follows this issue closely, you read the news, right? And you see that Europe is taking much more action on these issues than we are in the United States, which brings this question, I think that all of you have said, you know, where are our values in the United States when it comes to innovation and antitrust enforcement, but where also were we, you know, when these things were actually out in the public domain that we should have been paying attention to them? Listen, I've got just a, a couple more fire hose. I call this the fire hose question because I know that, that our listeners would be interested in hearing your take on this. We just had a decision come down to, for the FTC that has implications for consumer compensation. And in a recent congressional hearing, acting chairwoman of the FTC, you know, really said we need to push back on this and that she needs Congress's help to push back on the court's decision on Section 13B of the FTC Act when it comes to monetary damages. Curious from each of you, any opinion on this? Is this a, a good fight to have? 
And what will that do if, in terms of potentially eroding FTC's authority as is? Well, it's it's a it's a unfortunate decision. It's nine zero. The Supreme Court was going through you know legislative analysis and concluded that authority to the courts thought the FTC had both to award consumer redress where there's been fraudulent behavior, but also to require companies to disgorge ill-gotten gains. Those authorities have been severely limited and part of the FTC's considerable effectiveness over the last quarter century has been undermined. I think it's critically important that Congress move quickly to reestablish that authority to make the FTC more effective. Going back to Nancy's point about how the deterrent effect of antitrust enforcement has been severely undermined over the years for a variety of reasons, including lack of funding, this is yet another blow to deterrence. If, in fact, the FTC can't go to court, get an injunction that includes returning monies fraudulently taken from the average consumer, yet and requires the government to go through a lengthy multi-year process, people are going to be encouraged to continue to engage in fraudulent activity. We can't have that in this economy. So it's it, the ball is now in Congress's court, and it's an easy layup. They ought to take it. Amen. I think the only good thing that can be said for this decision is that it makes it clear that Congress needs to do something and do something right away. Yeah, totally, Tom? totally, totally agree. I yeah. worry. I worry, however, as to whether this is a canary in the coal mine kind of a situation. Could be dealing with agency authority writ large, and we've all been talking about the importance yeah. of agency authority, and 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 what kind of a signal is this about about coming opinions, whether it be on on things like Chevron deference, for instance, and so. But I totally agree that yes, Congress ought to step up and fix this 13B issue right away. Yeah, I mean, this is this is the moment. And look, who you appoint matters. That was sort of the start of this conversation. And I think the active chairwoman is going to take this on. And, and you all know she's taken on other issues that we've never seen in this domain as well, which is racial equity and antitrust enforcement. And I'm curious to see how that pans out. I'll be working on a piece on that because I think that that's a uncommon pairing that we've actually seen over the course of history when we talk about these issues. I want to just say thank you to all of you. I mean, I I'm blown away by this conversation. Not only did I facilitate a family reunion, but I also think that uh, we got deeper into these concepts that are often obscured, right, to people, the common person out there who knows that something needs to happen, but they're not sure what. And Bill, we started with you. The status quo may not be enough, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Look, two quick points. One is it, it, you know, we are at a fork in the road in terms of where we go in competition policy. And as Yogi Berra once said, it's time to take it. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, se second point is next time the four of us in studio together and I'll buy the drinks afterwards. <laughs> well, it looks like there's going to be a next time. Fortunately, I think we had this conversation uh uh, a few months ago, we wouldn't have been able to say that. So there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And I think there will be um, some solutions going forward for this issue as well. 
We're excited as always at Brookings to tackle what we call big bite issues and put them into bits so that people can actually make them more palatable when they're talking about tech policy. I would just encourage everyone to follow these great distinguished experts that are here. I want to say thank you to Nancy Rose from MIT and Bill Bear from Brookings and Tom Wheeler from Brookings. Thank you to the three of you for uh, coming on the show. And I would say to all of you, don't forget to tune in for the next episode of Tech Tank. We are so excited to keep bringing you these issues in, in rare form and in real form. Be sure to listen to the podcast and follow us on our Tech Tank newsletter where you will find the written work of these scholars that were on this uh, episode today. Thank you for listening to Tech Tank, a series of roundtable discussions and interviews with technology experts and policymakers. For more conversations like this, subscribe to the podcast and sign up to receive the Tech Tank newsletter for more research and analysis from the Center for Technology Innovation at Brookings.